Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by IcarusFC.com and Roughneck Scarves. This is podcast number 299, believe it or not. With that number, we'll give a shout out to Australian defender Ellie Carpenter. In her first season in NWSL, which was 2018, she played 1,200 and 99 or rather 1299 minutes for the Portland Thorns in the regular season. Youngest player ever to play in the NWSL getting her first minutes on her 18th birthday and youngest player to score in the NWSL as she scored her first goal in NWSL 3 weeks later. And now she's a, a Champions League champion with uh, Leon having joined that club this spring. All right, two chats today. First with Cindy Lara of RSL Soapbox, uh, part of the SB Nation group. We went over all the big changes in Utah. It's been such a crazy week for all the soccer folks around Salt Lake City. So Cindy gives us a good update. And then I spoke to, for the first time, Laurent Dubois of the Soccer Politics website. He's also author of uh, a great book called The Language of the Game, and he, he follows women's soccer pretty intently. He actually teaches a class at Duke and has uh, called Soccer Politics and has his students do research on the Women's World Cup. So with Laurent's background, mostly um, French in nature, we talked about Leon's dominance and his experience working with the team when they were in North Carolina last summer for the International Champions Cup. And of course, in between the two chats, the Gensplainer segment this week, it's just going over a few kind of uh, European soccer league names and, and phrases. So hope you enjoy this episode. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Keeper Notes and also at MixZone. And that's two X's in MixZone. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Cindy Lara from RSL Soapbox. Yes, that is the SB Nation outlet that covers soccer in Utah. And so much has been happening with Utah soccer, Cindy. I It's made my head spin, so I, I, I can't imagine what you feel like. <laughs> uh, yeah, same. Kinda. <laughs> You're still stunned. You're like almost speechless. It, yeah, because every day it's something new surfaces and you're just like, what? Um, it, it's just so wild because for so long we praised this, at least from the women's side, the, like the, you know, like the women on the, on the women's side, like we praised this organization for doing such a great job of equality and, you know, making the women just equals, if not better. And, and then everything just, hits the fan and you're like, wow, like I've spent the past two years of my life thinking this organization is great. And there's actually some pretty, pretty discouraging, bad, just terrible stuff happening at the front office level. And so it's been wild to be. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, I I'm sure it depresses all of us whenever we learn behind the scenes about, you know, something that we think highly of, of, something that you know is important to us you know I think we've all been there mm -hmm. in, in the sports world and probably in the professional world as well um, and I know it's mm -hmm. not something that is specific to women's soccer in, in any way shape or form um, but I always hate finding the situations where oh you just thought you could put 
a sheen of equality mm-hmm. and professionalism on top of it. And that, and that would be good enough as opposed to, I think what we've learned over the, the history of, of NWSL and as it continues to evolve. And again, we've had, we've never had a women's league come this far, right? It's, it's almost three times as old as the other mm-hmm. two, you know, um, that we're hitting these levels of, yeah, that's not good enough. Um, and that, mm-hmm. you know, dirt will start to come out and, um, that there are options for good employees to go, you know, I'm not sticking around. This is bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. um, like we saw a couple summers ago with Sam Kerr, once she had left sky blue, you know, um, you know, and they had that, that game where, where they beat them, Chicago beat Sky Blue pretty bad. And then she spoke very frankly about, I feel for my former teammates. And then all of stuff kind of came out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this happened differently, obviously, but it, it's like, it's an opportunity to maybe uh, get a fresh new start. I mean, it's frustrating, I think, at least from an outsider's perspective, that, hey, it's a club that's not that old, that, of course, we all saw as a savior when you know, Kansas City had to fold. But at the same time, I, I don't feel quite as panicked where it's like, wow, there's options and resources and people interested in buying right now that we would not have had three years ago. Right, right. So, so, yeah. so let's, go, let's go chronologically. Let's kind of back up yeah. a little bit because last week I'd reached out to you because, of course, we were hearing the Kelly O'Hara rumors about a trade to Washington Spirit. So I was like, oh, I need to talk to Cindy. And, you know, we hadn't talked about how the Royals had done in the Challenge Cup. And then before you and I even had a chance to talk, <laughs> mm-hmm. everything everything uh, started hitting the fan. But first, let's start with, with Kelly O'Hara, just for the fun stuff before we get into the mucky stuff. Um, <laughs> what's, the, what's the latest you know about that? I mean, if, if you've heard anything. Yeah, everything is stalled at the moment. It's super silent. Um, from last I heard, Kelly does want to play in Washington, which makes sense for, I mean, you know, from a perspective of like U.S. national team players wanting to be in a specific market. And so Kelly lives in the D.C. area with her partner. So that's been rumored for even before I believe the 2020 season started. And so I think Utah is just trying to accommodate her request. But then on the Washington side, um, they they turned down the trade because Utah wanted these younger players, Ashley Hatch, and there's another one, McGrady. Which, McGrady, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And so ever since then, it's just stalled. It, it's, it, it's really on Washington's side. Um, but last I heard is maybe potentially she could go overseas. Um, especially with so many players heading overseas to play and getting that play time. I did hear that Vladko has encouraged the national team players to get playing time. And so there goes the rumor of, or like the reports of Kristen Press also heading overseas to Manchester United. So, yeah. And, and that then, totally makes sense if, if, yeah. there's so, if there's so limited playing time here and they can't even play national team games. Wow, you right. want your you want your, your players to play any way they can. But specific to O'Hara, um, you know, and I think it's such an interesting conundrum when the national team get to this age where she's not old, but she's not young. And right. she she has been dealing with injuries pretty 
very consistently, uh, you know, since being part uh, of the Royals. So, you know, it's it's like you see why, hey, she wants to go elsewhere. We want to accommodate that. We want to get something for that. And you can say she's a two-time World Cup champion, you know, right? But I, I totally see Washington's side as well of, you know, <laughs> hey, we're building a young roster. We don't we don't need an, another player like what they they've dealt with with Lavelle. And no disrespect to Lavelle, but Lavelle had the same challenges. Where often injured, and when she was healthy, she was you know with the national team. So you know it's it, it's a tricky place uh, for for the Royals to be, especially when, you know, as we know with all the national team, the subsidized national team players, if they go abroad, it's not like you get any compensation for that, right? Where like a trade, mm-hmm. at least at least you get something for that. Mm-hmm. So as you said, it, it, it's pretty quiet right now. And, and I and I totally understand that with everything else that's, that's happened. So let's talk about what happened next. Um, and it kind of caught me off guard because... You know, my head is mostly in the Woso world, occasionally in the MLS world. But I was like, "Oh, wait, what did what did Deloy Hansen say?" And then it was related to um, a lot of the MLS teams not wanting to play after what happened in Kenosha. But but tell me how it unfolded for for those of you in Utah. Yeah, so the RSL players boycotted Wednesday's game in protest to the shooting of Jacob Black. Uh, I'm sorry, Blake, um, and everything that's been going on lately the past few months with, you know, police brutality um, against black people. And so, you know, it, it's, it seemed like a, because I believe the first team who did it was the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA. And then from then on, it just rippled throughout the sports world. And so there was talk of, you know, we were kind of, the RSL guys were kind of like waiting for, the the news or the potential of RSL boycotting the game. And so that is exactly what happened. And then the next morning, Deloy Hansen went on the radio station that he owns, by the way, to talk about how disrespectful he felt by. That's an important point, because when you own that media, you can say, I'm coming on and I'm talking. For sure. And so he, by his own will, decided to go on air to talk about his feelings, how he just felt disrespected by it and, you know, talked about being stabbed and quoting things like the dis- the disrespect from these players is profound to me personally. So it, it seemed like he took it very personal that his own players or his club decided to protest um, against a very serious issue in the U.S. And so it, it, it was heard, um, there was fan outrage, the, t- the tweet went out and it, it just rippled like RSL started reporting on it. Our own managing editor, Matt Montgomery, I uh, was able to get a hold of the radio, like the transcript before, or he transcripted the the interview before it was taken down because it was taken down because there was so much outrage. But now there's this public record of this is everything that Deloy Hansen said in this interview. Um, one of his players, Nadem Anoha, talked to the BBC saying that he did not want to play for someone who doesn't support them as players. Um, and so later on, Delo Hansen goes on another radio station he owns to try to walk back the statements. 
um, didn't really feel like an apology, just kind of continued to make everything about himself. He said, also said that fans wouldn't be welcome to future MLS games yet. Talked about staff. So pretty much it, it's just taking out on the staff that, the, you know, his staff would be affected and um, they, they wouldn't host games, but they would try. So it just seemed like a way to cover up the earlier interview, but it did not. And then yeah, the, kind of fire, yeah. fire, throwing fire on the fire. And I remember one comment where he's like, do you fans want to tell our stadium workers that they don't get their, get their money? And I'm thinking like, wait, one of your own players has been raising money to pay mm-hmm. for the stadium people that lost their jobs, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know he has more resources than most, if not all um, NWSL owners. So it's just, yeah, it rings pretty hollow. He does, for sure. And so there's the radio station. And then later on, The Athletic uh, reported, dropped an article about, um, you know, the racism, stories of racism by Delo Hansen and backed up by former RSL star, star Andy Williams. And that was all very detailed in The Athletic article. And so that also just, okay, now we have stories of this man um, and, and his racial abuse to players and, and people he encountered. And so now the MLS and the NWSL announced investigations because these are serious allegations. And, and yeah. And then I'm on Sunday. So that was that. And then on Sunday morning, everyone kind of just woke up to the news that Delo Hansen was going to sell. Um, Hansen issued a letter to the fans and RSL players and coaches. And so it, it, at this point, it seemed like he would rather just sell than face the, the it. Yeah. And when I, when I saw the announcement so quickly of like, you know, after deep thought, I'm like, what, one evening, you know, I'm, you know, my wife and I are going to sell and it's best for the club going forward. And it's like, mm-hmm. I was torn between, well, this is a great move, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, why, why hash it out when it's clear that, you know, it, it's not in his best interest, nor NWSL or MLS's best interest to continue, you know, so let's just go ahead and move to the next step. And I also wondered, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, would MLS be pressuring him? I don't think NWSL would be able to pressure him the way that MLS could, but either way, like, I'm glad that those voices came out so quickly and so clearly of like, yeah, this is a problem. Not like, oh, we'll consider it and get back to you. But like, no, this is this is a problem. Um, Mm -hmm. So when he said, you know, I'm going to sell again, like if this were three years ago, I think all of us in Wosa world would be panicking. But knowing that there have already been, you know, we had the Louisville expansion announcement last fall. LA this summer, we know there's other possible markets on the table that it's it's like, it, it just worried me less. And then to see, you know, Josie Altador saying, I have a group interested, you know, to see JJ Watt saying, hell, my wife grew up just down the road. I don't care. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, we're in such a different place. So, you know, I hope there's some positives that mm-hmm. can come out of this because I still feel like what's been built 
in Utah has been great. I mean, that that facility where most of the Challenge Cup was played, you know, Rio Tinto and that beautiful view towards the mountain and, and you know, mm-hmm. the resources that have been afforded the players. So hopefully it's something that, you know, doesn't come to an, an end. Um, but what were your thoughts when you when you first saw that statement from the Hansons of, yeah, we're going to go ahead and sell? Yeah, it, it's. I think that was one of my worry, not like worries, but thoughts about what would happen because obviously MLS is a lot bigger than the NWSL. So, I my biggest question was was that um, how would the NWSL hold someone accountable? You know, who has invested so heavily in the league. Um, and if MLS was to force that sale, what would happen to the team? So the fact that it ha- happened right. voluntarily and all three, you know, Utah soccer holdings is, is, is all a package deal. Um, that gave a little bit more of security to, he can't keep a certain side or a certain side isn't going to fold because of all of this. Um, so it, it is, there is hope that, yeah, like there's some protection that, they're they're a package deal and not separate entities. Um, so it, it's good. Well, talk about, overall. Talk about, um, yeah. So we saw like you know while this is being this is pending before he made this announcement that he was going to sell. You know Utah Soccer will run the clubs, and so like mm-hmm. is Utah Soccer like the legal entity that oversees all of them and he's what the chairman of the board because it didn't really specify like what is utah soccer yeah so it it it's the thing about delo hansen and everything he owns it's you kind of have to start um figuring out what he owns and what all falls under that ownership because there is so much under that he owns i mean if, if there's an ownership change there's there's a lot so Uh, Yeah, the soccer holdings is, um, it's not a registered entity in Utah, but it is the the various businesses around Real Salt Lake, Utah Royals FC, and Real Monarchs. So that includes like Real Tinsel Stadium, the RSL Training Academy, um, you know, media, everything just seems so tied into this organization because that is what the Kind of, I mean, Delaware Hansen has built quite an empire in Utah with, with this club and and everything. Oh, I read so, that. What it was like twelve thousand apartment buildings and yeah, this and that. I was like, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, like I, I knew, I knew he had deep roots and resources. I didn't realize how deep. Yeah. So there's quite a lot in there that I think even as this whole what's going to go into it. What is, what is specifically Utah Arbor Holdings? It, it can get so complicated because everything is just so tied up. Um, so it, it should be interesting to see what, what eventually gets divvied up. And in the end, there should, there should be no ties back to Delo Hansen if the sale is going to be completely and through. I believe like their previous owner that there's, he has no involvement in the RSO organization right now. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. 
So then we had uh, the article that you guys ran on RSL Soapbox on Monday, mm. which was eye-opening in a whole different way. Um, not just about racist speech, but um, some harassment, some maybe sexism in the workplace. I don't know what kind of nice phrase you want to give to it, but talk about working on, on that story and and how it made you feel as someone who, you know, like we, we started with, it's like, you know, you held this organization in such high regard. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's hard when you're on the, you, the more work you do on the media side, you end up seeing things where it's like, oh, you know, I kind of wish I was just a fan and only mm-hmm. occasionally saw these things. <laughs> but talk, talk about that story, because that, that was huge, especially to come from an outlet like RSL Soapbox. Yeah, and this was all Lucas Miller, who initially this started to be a uh, piece about the furloughs that happened. And that itself was a controversy in itself because you have this millionaire who's buying million-dollar coins or something to that effect, but doesn't have enough to pay his staff during the pandemic as the seasons were on hold. So. I believe originally it was supposed to be like a fur the story about the furloughs, but everything just happened with Delo Hansen last week. And we knew that it had to go deeper than that, that this man has exposed himself to the soccer world and what kind of man he is and how he runs his, his business and the organization. And it, in a way it just empowered people to be like, okay, well clearly he put himself out there. He, now he's, he pretty much just opened this, this opportunity for people to speak out, to, to talk about his racism. And then there was just talk about the uh, business with CBO, who was worse than probably Delo Hansen because um, he, he was people so interacted involved with him every well. day. Yeah. Yeah. He was, yeah. he was so involved. So that just came into just, just stories of like employees, former employees, some which were okay with their name being used, some which were more on the anonymous side. And so I was like, yeah, Lucas got the green light to continue and, and seek out. And at this point, people are just so willing to speak out because for so long, people were afraid because there were some of these employees lived in, you know, Delo Hans's apartment complexes. And so that would affect them. And, and it's, it's just wild how so tied up, and how just they couldn't really speak out even if they wanted to. They knew so much was going on, but again, their livelihoods were at stake at the same time. So, um, which which is unfortunate because you should not be afraid of your employer, right? Um, right. But <laughs> yeah, and and so all these allegations of of, of sexism when in interviews with Kern and the former employees, and we just it just kept going, and so. Just, just a really an unfortunate situation from that. I, I mostly feel just for these employees, Pat, I mean, current and former, that, you know, you should be able to go to work and enjoy your job and not be fearful of it. So it it obviously, it, it, it needed to come out. And just very proud of Lucas and uh, Matt Montgomery and all the people at Soapbox and something like this, it, it, was, it was just a matter of time before it came out because it was out there. 
but again, <laughs> it all started with Deloitte Hansen. Um, so yeah, like, like I was saying, it's, you hold, you kind of hold this organization because of what they did of putting a soccer club in, I believe three months since FC Kansas City yes. folded. And they really do such well. a good job. Yeah. yeah. And then you're like, wow, like this, this is what the future of the NWSL could be. Um, obviously, I think that probably has been elevated by the LA group, but um, it's, it's disappointing. And it's even just hard to be like, do I want to, I, I just, it's kind of like a gut punch where you're like, oh, this is not, yeah, this is yeah. not very good to, to learn about these things. And I'd rather just be a fan and, you know, move on with my life and not. <laughs> and there's no way yeah. to backpedal it, um, though. I, I have to say, I did appreciate that everything that was happening was happening in real time, that it wasn't, oh, we unearthed something that 10 years ago somebody said X or five years mm-hmm. ago in a video they said X, that this was, you know, no question this was this week this happened this person said this no Mm question you know and then then even spoke publicly a couple more times it's like yes it's clear that's what his attitude is so Mm -hmm. you know i I appreciate that that things did move pretty quickly and now hopefully uh you know there's plenty of time to get things settled before we head into an expansion draft for nbsl uh, probably an expansion draft for MLS because I think they've mm-hmm. got one or two teams coming on for 2021. You know, a lot of uncertainty. Like, here, here's something you want to get get settled. Um, but, but to end on a, on a more positive note, why don't we talk just a little bit about what you thought about the performance of the Royals, the Challenge Cup? I know they were disappointed to go out on penalties mm-hmm. to Houston, but uh, you know, I, I have to think you saw some some positives in what Craig Harrington was doing with a very different looking squad. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that I was very excited to just. Um, and that's going off Craig's excitement from his press conferences where he did really say he was super excited and, and you know, asked him a question and I was met with a, hey, I'm super excited and we're all super excited. So, you know, as someone covering the team and even just fans here and that, you are looking forward to how this club will do. And um, especially without being without Kristen Press, which was huge. Kelly O'Hara didn't play um, either with the beginning. So I, I was just really impressed with the way he, he was able to really use his younger players. Um, especially yes. with Kate, Kate Del Saba, um, really good. Um, I'm, I'm totally blank. Elizabeth Ball. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah because and, you, and Sierra, Sierra King yeah. and then like Vero stepping up to be that yeah. senior commanding player. And, oh, my God, I was so excited to see see Diana Matheson back on the field. Right. So was, the team looked energized. They actually looked like they there was a game plan on, on, on hand. Um, there was more of a, you know, at least the beginning few games, they, they were pressing forward. They were moving up the, the, the ball up the field. They were just. They look like a very exciting team to watch. And um, obviously the skeletons came out of the closet again with, um, you know, with them not being able to um, not be able to score goals. And I think that seems to be like a Utah problem of, oh, here's, here's 
here's the skeletons haunting us again, um, not being able to score gold. But overall, it, it really just set, and, and that's what I wanted to see was that we may not, Utah may not be winning the Challenge Cup, but at least it allowed Craig to see what works, what doesn't work. It really just gave him this um, blueprint for a team that he's building and not so much the Laura Harvey years that we were so used to seeing. And um, yeah, I, I thought he did a phenomenal job with the squad he had. And um, it, it was, it was well, exciting, especially with you know? such limited games, with such limited games, you know, it, it right. really was, I mean, the way the seeding came down, uh, you know, for the quarterfinals, you know, with everybody so close on points, which is going to happen when you do a single table everybody's only played four games and most teams haven't played each other. Right. It was, that was kind of awkward. Uh, So I felt it was unfortunate that Utah and Houston got paired up again because they had one of the best games in the first round. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. three goals each, very exciting. Um, So it was, it was a very taut match in in the quarterfinal, but I was hoping it's like, no, I wanted to see some different uh, quarterfinal matches like I would have preferred a you know two groups of four mm-hmm. you play everybody in your group and then match up but whatever whatever too late to change right, that right. but I, but I do sure. feel like you know Utah I would I would judge Utah's performance better than some teams that did advance out of the quarterfinal mm-hmm. you know um, yeah. and we've got the fall series so Craig Carrington has four more games to you know see more out of those young players and that was to me, one of the exciting things of the challenge cup was seeing some players who maybe we only saw limited minutes of previously, or they're rookie. And so they're just really thrown out there. I mean, like Sierra King, I mean, hot damn, like Mm -hmm. way to make a name for yourself in your professional debut, you know? So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, it's, it's kind of thing like the future is really bright. Like that was, that was a really good class. And I think the Mm -hmm. next draft class will be even, stronger and so let's just let's just keep looking forward and not look back at this really crazy dramatic week in utah (laughs) well cindy thanks so much for for taking the time uh to chat about everything going on in utah and you know keep up the good work on rsl soapbox because we all need to know you know we all Mm. need the local reporters telling us what's going on in each market yeah for sure thanks so much Time for a little gensplaining. Today's topic, it's not so much one topic as maybe a decoder or a dictionary for a lot of the women's leagues and, and European phrases you might hear thrown around as we've got a lot of players on loan or playing in Europe otherwise. So FAWSL, FA is Football Association. That is England's football association equivalent to our U.S. soccer. And the WSL is the Women's Super League. So you can call it the FAWSL or just WSL. That's the female equivalent of the Premier League, uh, the English equivalent of the NWSL, however you want to equate it. But that's what that's Manchester City, Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, etc. Uh, you know, where Rose Lavelle and Samantha Mewis will be playing. FA Community Shield, that was the game that was played last weekend uh, for both men and women's in England. What that is, that's an annual tradition where the winner of the league the previous year plays the winner 
of the FA Cup from the previous year. Um, and the FA Cup being the equivalent of our U.S. US Open Cup. Um, France, uh, their women's league, their top division, they call Division One or, you know, feminine. So you often see it uh, uh, abbreviated as D1F or Div1F. Um, there's probably a better way to pronounce that. But if you see D1F, they're talking about the French league. Germany, it's the Frauen Bundesliga. Bundesliga meaning state league, Frauen, women. So you can call it Frauen Bundesliga or just Bundesliga. Italy, just like the men's, they do Serie A, Be, Se, De, that's A, B, C, D, because they have promotion and relegation. So any anytime you see Serie and it's S-E-R-I-E in front of a letter, that's an Italian league. Spain, the women's league is the Primera Iberdola. Norway, the top league is the Top Serian, like top series. Holland, they've recently renamed their top women's division uh, to have the same name as the men, which is Ere Divisie, which is basically translates to honor division, top division. Lots more leagues in Europe, not going to go through all of them, but just wanted to give everybody a few, a few phrases that kind of help you figure out what league is being talked about when, because I'm thinking with you know, more and more access to the games over there. We definitely want to know which league, which country we're talking about. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Laurent Dubois from, not from France, from actually North Carolina, right, Laurent? <laughs> yeah, well, I was, born, I was born in Belgium. So I'm, I'm a Belgian a Belgian North Carolinian, I guess. <laughs> nice. That's a great hyphenate. I like that. Well, yeah, the, re- yeah. the reason I have Laurent on today is uh, really because of a, a tweet I saw that you put out um, after Lyon won the, the Champions League this past weekend that you had been their translator when they were in North Carolina for the Women's ICC last year. And I was like, oh, I have to talk to, to Laurent. Of course, been meaning to talk to you for a while. You you, you have a lot of great soccer-related tweets and projects. And, and first, before we get to Leon, I want you to talk about uh, your most recent book that's about soccer and has a fair chunk of women's soccer info in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the book is called The Language of the Game, How to Understand Soccer, and it's something that is published with basic books. Um, and actually, they approached me about it because they have a series of sort of books about cultural forms. You know, they've got a book on ballet, a book on jazz, a book on opera. Um, and they were like, can you write one of these on soccer? So it's sort of, it's sort of like a journey into the culture of soccer and the history of it globally. Um, but one of my big goals in it was to sort of make, you know, to have women's soccer be be present through the whole story, right? So, so that each of the different chapters is based around different positions and, and sort of figures in the game. And, um, so going back to even like Lily Parr, who was, you know, an early 20th century English player and then obviously different U.S. players and, um, thinking that through. And, you know, so it's part of, I mean, I've been really influenced obviously by Brenda Elsie and Joshua Needle's book on Valera and kind of a number of other colleagues who've been doing incredible work having, uh, the history of women's soccer. Um, come through, and we've had a couple of events here at Duke University around that too. So, the, so the book, you know, is influenced by that and tries to tell the history of soccer, but as a as, as a, 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 a full story with all sides told. So, is that easy easily available, like Amazon or? Yeah. yeah how would I get it? 
get it anywhere. Awesome. Go to an independent bookstore. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's going to be you find it. Uh, Good point. Um, yeah. So, so that you should be able to find them. There's an audio books version and, uh, you know, Kindle and all that. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Nice. Well, tell me, um, I mean, aside from being born in Belgium, Belgium, how you, um, you know, got into soccer, got into following soccer, what, what led you to the game? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I grew up actually in Bethesda, Maryland, which is one of these places that in the 70s was, was pretty soccer heavy. So I, you know, I played as a kid. Yes. Um, in a community with, with, you know, reasonable number of immigrants like my family. And so it was sort of, you know, and that had that experience where soccer was a way of just kind of connecting, even though it wasn't something that, you know, beyond that world, you know, hard to see on TV and so forth. So, um, I didn't, you know, I kind of stopped being that interested in it uh, through college and graduate school and then kind of got pulled back into it, in fact, because um, I work on France and France and the Caribbean and French Empire. That's my main work as a historian. And so, of course, in 1998, when France won the World Cup, um, it was like, in some ways, like that team was sort of everything I write about kind of on the soccer pitch. And so yes. then I've been really interested in how um, soccer you know, kind of channels and condenses bigger questions about um, just, you know, about history and identity and, and immigration and all these places. And so I, I came eventually to, that was just a, a general interest. And then in, in 2006, uh, at the end of the, uh, at the end of the World Cup, when Zidane, you know, headbutted Materazzi, um, I basically had to write a whole book to let's get over that. I'm a French, I'm a fan of the French team. I was in France at the time. <laughs> so I wrote my first, my first book on soccer, uh, was published. Because of a headbutt. I, it's, it's a very, very long analysis of the headbutt. No, it's more than that. It's a, it's a kind of history of, of French soccer and immigration going back through the 20th century and focuses around Zidane and Turam. It's really about the politics of soccer. Um, and as I was writing that book, I started teaching a class here at Duke uh, called Soccer Politics that I've taught for now a decade. Um, and uh, there's also a blog called the Soccer Politics Blog that people can look up at Duke University where basically everything the students do is, is on that blog. So there's an amazing amount of work and research they've written about um, what's there. So also a lot on, on women because we've like during this, when I taught it in 2015 and then again in 2019, the students focused on creating guides to the women's uh, World Cups and, and so forth. So, yeah, so those are all the things nice. that And then, and then actually, you know, the North Carolina Courage followed me here. So now I have, I live in a place with, with a great team. And so that's my local team. And I really enjoy going and, and rooting for them as well. So it's a good combination of things. Now, did you, um, growing up in Bethesda, did you ever have a chance to see the Washington Freedom way back in WSA era? I really never did. I never, like, you know, because my parents, this was, this was not their thing. I played, you know, at the YMCA and stuff, but I basically had no real, yeah, I, I, I missed out on all that stuff. <laughs> it was really, um, it's only much later that I, that I kind of became aware in retrospect, you know, of the things that were going on in the seventies, um, in that, in that time. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and so what was it like when you heard the announcement that North Carolina, well, that Western New York flash was moving to North Carolina? I mean, I was very excited and, I, you know, it's kind of, this is obviously North Carolina sort of, you know, a kind of, you know, a, a motherland, I guess you could call it, of, of women's soccer in the United States <laughs> with, with UNC and, you know, I mean, Carla Overbeck is the assistant, you know, the, is a coach at uh, the women's soccer at Duke. Um, I've seen right. her in my class, you know, like all these people, you know, so it, it, it seems, I've always thought, I mean, I, yeah, when I arrived here, I was like, why is there not a, you know, why is there not a team here? And, um, 
you know, had gone to a couple of the, of what was then the Railhawks, actually, the Carolina Railhawks, some of the men's games. But, um, it was great news. And I think they've, it's shown, you know, it was a wise choice because the fan base has been really supportive and good. And it's an incredibly great vibe down there and carries for those games. And, um, pleasingly, you know, sometimes they do like games where like the NCFC warms up for the Carolina Courage. It's like the, you know, the first game is the men's game and then the big game is the women's game. So that's kind of nice. Um, and, you know, basically it's a, it's a great vibe. And it's also meant that there's been, you know, international games here, some World Cup qualifying. So I've been able to see the U.S. team play a couple times. And uh, it's great. It's great to be here, not to mention the college um, games. And actually, this past year, I started te- uh, coaching also uh, a girls team in Durham, which has been an incredibly great experience, too. So, yeah, it's a, it's a quite wonderful place to be doing this kind of work and involved. So. Well, and last summer, you know, the women's ICC was held in that area for the second time. And you had the incredible opportunity to serve as interpreter for Leon. I tell me how that came about and, and what that involved on your end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was one of like the best things possible. I, I couldn't quite believe it. But they, they wrote to me because I teach French at Duke and they just asked, you know, do you have any students or people who would possibly just do basic stuff, you know, translating during the press conferences and during the thing off field, the, the on field, uh, you know, the, uh, conversations after the game. Um, and I just said, like, I'll do it. I've done. I, I even sent them. I was like, I made a big pitch for myself. And they were like, yeah, yeah we just need it. You know, because <laughs> I have done um, in my work, you know, often do two kind of simultaneous translations for conferences or that kind of stuff. But, um, in actually my, in 2009, I brought Lillian Turon to Duke, um, and he spent a week here and gave talks and then I translated for him. And anyway, so, um, so, so I jumped at the opportunity because of course the idea of just even getting to be near like any of these players for five seconds was incredible. Um, and this is, you know, this is right after the world cup, which I'd been at in France and you know, the Lyon team is like half of the, the women's, the French women's team. I know. Team, basically. Not to mention this incredible constellation of, of, you know, players from Holland and Canada. Yeah, so and Wendy Renard, Sarah Buhati, exactly. Ada Hegerberg, Kadisha Buchanan, mm-hmm. Saki Kumagai, and on and on and on. And on and on. Yeah. I mean, I'm only, you know, like they were, they were all there. This was uh, unbelievable, actually. Um, and, um, yeah, so it was, it was great. So I kind of just, uh, and Lucy Bronze had just come on and Alex Greenwood, you know, so there's, there was this whole crew and, um, so it was a lot of fun because I got to go, um, and, you know, sort of talk to them and just did some of the, you know, some of it was just the, uh, uh, the, the press conferences, these, these little things before the game and stuff. And then, um, and then they were very gracious and like the coach invited me to, to come to a practice and, um, you know, got to sort of hang out and watch them practice and that kind of stuff. So it was great, you know, and, um, you know, there was a, a crew of journalists, Mike Line, he was here and others. And so I did a little bit of translating in the mixed, the mixed zone <laughs> and the, uh, like for, for your podcast afterwards, um, trying to, I had to sort of stop Wendy and they were all very funny because the night before somehow I had been pulled away somewhere else or something. And Wendy just walked out and she was just like, you know, do anybody speak French? And they were like, no. And she's like, okay. And she just left. <laughs> so it was like, she's like, oh. so the next, the next day they're like, you have to stop Wendy Bernard and force her to like give us a give us a you know comment. And, um, so uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was exceptional. And you know they won they won the tournament. Um, so just you know got to be on the field after the tournament with them, and uh, it was amazing. You know they're they're I mean it's just 
what a star kind of studded group and what an incredible, they just have this, part of it was just like, you can see what, when the team really works, right? They have this rapport with each other, a lot of fun, clearly a kind of intergenerational mentoring, you know, you've got some more established players and younger players that they're bringing in. And, um, you know, there's just a vibe about a team like that. And, and you can sort of see, I think all of the support that they have and the strength they feel, um, you know, and it comes through in how they play. And it's, it's not surprising that they're this dominant team in the world, you know, and um, even if the, the last game with the courage was, was sort of hard fought, there was this way in which they, you know, it was just breathtaking to watch them play. So. Well, and I think it's always really tough, the timing of the women's ICC. And we've seen this in the men's game too, when MLS has brought over certain European clubs for the all-star game where it's mid season for us, it's preseason for them, right? So you're always going to have that asterisk of, well, this team didn't have so-and-so. And and I think of Lyon last summer that for those players, that was probably their first matches post-World Cup. It was. Their first matches under the new head coach, Jean-Luc Vasseur. You know, that that's you know, that mm-hmm. stuff, we, we, we saw both sides struggle, right? It, we, you saw how tired everybody yeah. was. And, tired, and I think you saw, hot. as North Carolina hot. kept playing that season, like they, they, they struggled the next few weeks until they kind of like, I think, mm-hmm. kind of found their other gear for, for the end of the season. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And it was, you know, it was very hot. <laughs> I mean, it was particularly hot in the tent where we had to do our, <laughs> our translating. But, um, <laughs> you know, so there, there was all those things. And, and, and then at the same time, I think they grew into it. And, it, you know, um, the other teams were also extraordinary. And it was, I mean, the part of it was just, it's true that, you know, I did, I kept telling like everyone I knew, you know, like basically, you know, the best players in the world are here, <laughs> you know, come watch the game, you know? Yes. And there was yeah. a way in which people, people weren't really aware of it. Even the, I mean, you know, in the end, Carolina fans knew about it and came, but it's sort of like out of the, you know, it, 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 it was, I think it was pretty successful overall. And it was a pretty full, you know, it's pretty, there were a lot of people in the stadium anyway, but it was, um, you know, it, it definitely could 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 be more, and it's the, the usual frustration, obviously, that people just don't quite put two and two together. And even people who watched the right. the World Cup, you know, didn't necessarily understand that that Lyon is the place where some of these players are professionally and make that link. So, um, but you know, I, it's, I it's think great there's still happens. a disconnect. Yeah, there's a disconnect mm-hmm. among American fans, and and I think it's it's just because of the sports we're used to, where you know. Everybody plays for their team, right? You don't have this club and country yeah. thing. Yeah. You know? I yeah. play for the Rockets. I play for the New England Patriots. I play for the Yankees, right? Like it's a really simple kind of concept. Yeah. And soccer, um, you know, you have the club and country thing. And most of our sports, our team sports in the U.S. don't have a country aspect as well, right? The NFL, mm-hmm. like there is no USA doesn't go play against England, right? right. We, yeah. Occasionally we have basketball, occasionally yeah. baseball, right? Um, you've right. got hockey yeah, for the Winter Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when David Beckham was signed by LA Galaxy, a couple of people actually asked me, is he going to play for the U.S. national team now? <laughs> and, and I was trying right. to explain that. Yeah. I was so like, that's no, no, he's yeah. English. Like, so, but the, so the yeah. best, the best um, analogy I came up with especially in Houston to help people explain. I was like, it's like Yao Ming. His club is the Houston Rockets at the Olympics. Right. He plays for China and they're like, Oh, oh right. Right. So, okay. so here we, here we've got this flip, the flip side of it in women's soccer where right. we have 
great awareness of the U.S. Women's National Team and the fact that there's Women's World Cup and the Olympics. But what hasn't trickled down yet is the other side of it is, well, when these players aren't with their national teams, they're with a club. And not just the Americans, but all all of the international players they face in the World Cup. And then a club like Lyon, I mean, I described it, um, I got to do the the prep notes for for the CBS um, pregame show. I, you know, I, I was telling him, I was like, you guys lucked out. You basically got like the two big teams right now outside mm-hmm. of England. You know, I was, I was like, Leon is your Galacticos of women's soccer right there, you know, yeah, and Wolfsburg. Exactly. Oh, if it wasn't Leon winning the Champions League the last 10 years, it, it, it was Wolfsburg. Yeah, there was like one time in the last 10 years that it wasn't Leon or Wolfsburg. Right. So yeah. They're like, great. Oh, this is great. You know, they were so excited to be able to have like, big facts, big names around mm-hmm. that. Um, and so I, I even pushed, um, you know, to do a watch party at the place where I normally host Houston dash watch parties and just letting people know it's like, it's like, yeah, look at all of these yeah, players from both of these yeah. squads who played in the world cup. Like you already know these players, you saw them, you know, they're good. Like, yeah, this, this is yeah. worth watching. And I was so thrilled when I heard that CBS was picking up, uh, these mm-hmm. rights because I had assumed uh, last month when we heard that you know TNT was pulling out of Men's Champions League for their final contract year and that CBS was picking it up I assumed I was like oh they'll have the women's too but I didn't realize that the rights were done separately um, mm. so, so I was glad that they that, yeah so um, it's because apparently you know, the way the, the Women's Champions League has been, um, you know, especially when you think about the early rounds, which are very, very uneven matches, you know, um, what they've yeah. done over the past is let the, each home team sell the rights to their own game, right? So that they're they're getting oh. to profit off of it directly. But what that means is that you never know round to round, game to game, what channel something's on and is if it's available in certain countries. So they made mm-hmm. an announcement UEFA did last December that moving forward, they will be packaging them differently and reformatting some things. So like mm-hmm. looking ahead, it should be even better, but this situation could not have worked out better for us in this really weird time of COVID that because this was delayed like this and set into a week and happened when it did and happened after challenge cup that CBS was like, yeah. yeah, we can do this. Let's put these on, you know, let's yeah. put this game on. Yeah, no, and hopefully awesome. that, I mean, yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel like, and I think that the CBS, first of all, the, the interface is really great. It's easy to use and the coverage has been good. And they, you know, they have really, it, I've been really impressed and glad. And, and partly I'm just like, it's miraculous, you know, <laughs> like after so, so long of like it being so complicated to find women's soccer games, even the big ones, you know, um, to just sort of I have know. a normal, a normal way of accessing them has been great. And I just hope that it keeps building. Um, cause I, I hope they'll see that, you know, I, I think they will, they have seen that people, people are ready, eager to watch. And I think, I mean, going back to your point about the national teams, it's, you know, and I do, obviously the form of the NWSL with the, each of the teams having, um, having U.S. players. And then I think, I mean, here, you know, Gabinia, who's at the Courage, is like an incredible player. And she's, I think, you know, so people have learned now here, right, that we have this amazing Brazilian player. And then maybe yes. they watch the Brazilian team during the World Cup and they're like, hey, that's our player, you know, to, um, and, you know, a number of other players, obviously from, from other teams as well. Um, and, and then, you know, the core of having a bunch of the, 
of the U.S. players. I mean, that was part of the fun of last year's game too, was there was a little bit of like, a little bit of like a France-U.S. rematch. <laughs> you know, it felt like the, the final between yes. Carolina Courage. There was enough players, you know, who had been playing each other in the, in the, in the World Cup not that long before that, uh, I definitely on the Lyon side, there were, there was, there was a little bit of a clear, like, um, we got to win this game because we lost the last one, <laughs> you know, um, so. Well, let's talk about the Champions League final itself. Um, you know, so it was the French champ- club champion from last year and the German club champion from last year meeting in the final. They've met in the final several times before. Like I mentioned already, in the past 10 years, these are your only two champions except for once when Frankfurt won. So what what was your feeling going into this game? I mean, did you, you think that Leon had it in the bag or that this was going to be a different kind of match because of the format where, you know, these teams hadn't played a Champions League match since October. They hadn't really played mm-hmm. club matches recently. Lyon did have the uh, the French Cup where they beat PSG. Um, what were your thoughts on, mm-hmm. on this last stage of the tournament? You know, I mean, I think it's funny because, of course, in the men's tournament, there, you know, the, there, there's there, the, the kind of COVID context and the different tournaments and no fans and all this other stuff is clearly like weird things are happening, you know, un- unusual things are happening, <laughs> obviously like including the Barcelona scoreline, you know? Um, so I think, I think there was a sense like, okay, well, this is a little bit unstable. And even the PSG Lyon match, I thought, you know, was a lot, was a quite close match really. And, you know, PSG, you know, whatever, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure that, 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 that Lyon would win that one, even though I knew they were probably, you know, more likely to. Um, and the final two was really close. It was an intense match, and it felt like it could have gone different directions. I did. Ben Shireen Ahmed, who's, who's a commentator, you know, she was like, "It's going to be three, three, one, Lyon," <laughs> and she was right. Uh-huh. That. But, um, but there was, you know, it certainly, it certainly felt open, and and it was a fierce game, and I, I it was great. I mean, it was great to see that kind of intensity and the level there on both sides um, was pretty extraordinary. So. Um, I mean, there is a way in which Lyon has this, I think someone, uh, someone tweeted, Lisa Kwanza, who's on Twitter, sort of said, like, it looks like, sometimes it looks like Lyon is playing downhill. You know, like they just have this, this facility moving forward. Um, and, uh, that's, yeah, so that, that was like a, uh, there is a way in which when they get into their, when they get into their flow, they do feel like sort of unstoppable. Um, and you can just see the level. Now, of course, there were a couple of injuries. There were people out. They weren't exactly their team. It was cool to see a couple of younger players come in later, you know, and, and there's this renewal going on and people who are coming through the academy. And, um, you know, I guess I always think about infrastructure, you know, the, the, the sort of secret, obviously, behind all this. It's always a struggle to get the right kind of infrastructure for women's sports and get, you know, the situation, get people in situations where they can have what they actually need to succeed and play. And Lyon, I think, is kind of a model for that. So you can see, you know, you can see all of that investment coming off. And there's, it's not, um, it's not just that, but obviously they've been able to really support and collect an extraordinary group of players. And, um, you know, and that you've had of some of those players, some of those players who have been there for every single one of their Champions League titles: Sarah Buhati, Wendy Renard, uh, Majri, mm-hmm. even though she didn't play in every final. Eugenie Lisbeth, yeah. like to have that, had to have that core, right? And none of those players are particularly old, you know. So yeah, it's it like that they that they built it from the foundation, right? That that I guess mm-hmm. whenever they started their focus of like, okay. We're going to do this and we're going to do this right and we're going to do it you know on the same level that we run our men's team and you've seen that commitment mm-hmm. and i even remember way back when 
you know, we had that that time between the WSA and the WPS hearing about um, U.S. players going to Lyon, you know, yeah, uh, Rapino with, with Lyon when NWSL was founded and, you know, didn't join NWSL until her, her season was over with Lyon mm-hmm. and had she played in the Champions League. Um, yeah. You know, Ali Wagner played with Lyon, Hope Solo, several other, others, you know. So, yeah, it's that, that, that know, history it's also, is there. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's playing a really important role now, the European League, in, in the careers of, of, of American players. I mean, or North American players. I had a student at Duke here, Rebecca Quinn, you know, who's a great player. And she, she played, I think she was drafted into the suburb, and she went to France. Yes. And then came back, you know, and it, it kind of allows, I think, I think it does allow for, it's important to have that in part. The salaries are quite good in a lot of those teams. Um, you know, they pay well and they're, um, the struck in going into those sorts of places and seeing infrastructure, I think, you know, it raises people. I mean, it can, you know, can kind of raise the, in general, it kind of forces other teams to, 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 to up their game a little bit when they're facing those sorts of things. And I think that's, that's all really important. I also think, you know, there's something, obviously, yeah, Buhadi and Renard, you know, they're, that, that defensive team is just, you know, unbelievable, right? And, uh, one of my favorite things last year was I went to one of the, the practices and, at the end of the practice, there was just this, somebody challenged Buhati to like get, you know, a, get a ball into a trash can from like way across the field, you know, like pretty challenging, you know, it was just funny because just, she just wouldn't stop until it went in, you know, <laughs> like it was just kind of like, <laughs> like it was getting dark. Everybody was leaving. They were waiting on the bus, you know, or, you know people were walking off. She was like, no, no, no. Um, and finally got it. But it was this kind of, there is this kind of intensity to that, that crew and, and the cannon, um, back there too. It's, I mean, it's like, it's an incredible, it's an incredible group. And I do, and again, you do have these multiple generations of people who had the high level professional experience as well as the high level international. And, you know, we know that here too. There's no secret. So tell me how you felt um, or what you thought when you heard that OL group was buying a majority of Rain FC. And so of course now they're OL Rain with new colors, new logo, new name, new coach. Um, what, what did you think about that move uh, by OL group? You know, I thought that was super, super interesting. I mean, to, you know, that obviously that just from a kind of money and soccer perspective, right, that a, a group would come into U.S. and invest was, I think, a good sign. Um, it's true that I regret sort of, it's, I don't know, I was like, I, I'm used to saying Seattle rain and now I have to change my, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I guess I understand. Yeah, it their, takes some their, practice, their, yeah. They're coming in, you know, and the Seattle Portland rivalry, et cetera, et cetera. So, but, you know, I mean, I get that they're putting their mark on it. Um, but I thought that was really interesting, you know, and I thought that it's, it's sort of promising, really, right? Because those, you know, these investors, they, they do it, um, you know, maybe out of the love of the game, but also because there's money to be made, right? So, so I thought that was super interesting. And I was thinking, I mean, I do think that the more that there's a kind of connection and back and forth and players moving internationally, the, the, the level is just going to increase. I mean, you can sort of see it in both the men's and women's games. It's important for that network to be happening. Um, and so to the extent that, you know, that this, this purchase is also, I think, about a connection between, um, you know, maybe even interestingly to think about what that means for the academy systems. Does it mean that players coming up through Lyon Academy may you know, get their start in Seattle. I mean, that's really interesting, right? To think about the pipeline implications um, and vice versa too. So, you know, I don't know, I don't know enough about it, like exactly how that works, but I thought that was super interesting. And I think obviously um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but it's also potentially, you know, if that's for other teams, I mean, I, obviously to have 
more investment in these NWSL teams around the country is is all for the good. And of course, parallels with the, the LA team coming on board. And, you know, you can see um, that happening. It's the kind of stuff people have been hoping would happen for a long time. And you know, I'm sure it'll come with, with debates and growing pains and so forth. But um, I am curious. I don't know at all, like enough about Seattle fans and how they feel and what, you know, I don't know if there's been tensions around it or, or questions about it. Um, from that angle, you probably know better than me, but, um, but I did, I did feel like it's sort of, it felt like a little bit of a, of a shift and a, a, a transformation in terms of where we are in terms of professional women's soccer in the United States. And at the very least, it indicated that whereas, you know, for a few years, our idea, so there was this, like, is this really going to work? Is this league going to work this time when the others have not? Um, that, the, that kind of investment, I think, hints that, you know, people who are looking carefully at the, the numbers are, you know, pretty confident about the future of the NWSL. Definitely. And one of the things that made me pretty happy about that sale was that the Pred were still um, minority owners and, and still involved with day-to-day management of the club, right? That they mm-hmm. weren't, they weren't an ownership group, even though it's really just Bill Predmore and his wife, but they, they, they weren't wanting to leave Andy Russell, but they were saying, Hey, we need more, you know, our, our, yeah. yeah, we need more. Um, we don't have the resources. This team deserves more. And they found the resources. Right. And, and I think there was a, some story about how Predmore met, um, What's the name of the, the guy in charge of Leon? Like Olas? I think that's Olas. how you say yeah. his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, met, you know, in Leon, you know, during the, the that World Cup semifinal final week oh, nice. la, last nice. summer, right? You know, so it, I, I think that's a, that's a great partnership as opposed to some of the stories we've heard in the past of, oh, Barcelona has announced that they want to have a team in any of your cell, right? But they, they, they have no natural connection, haven't met anyone. Yeah. We're here. It's like, it's, it's like it's Predmore's still involved with it. I'm so glad. Here's the person that started it small, you know, put a lot of resources into it and then found someone to make it, help him right. make it even bigger, right? And also, so that's, I think that Olaf, yeah, and the Olympique Lyonnais group, you know, I mean, has proven you know, again, way ahead of the curve, right? In France, they were ahead of all kinds of other teams. They just started with, without their, without the women's league in France being what it is at all today, just decided to put in, you know, money on this. Like they, they kind of, so, so I think, you know, they, there's that, right? In other words, this isn't sort of just a, a kind of speculation. <laughs> it comes with a, it comes with an infrastructural investment and the coaching staff and all this kind of stuff that, you know, I mean, in other words, what they built at Lyon is the real, and I, I think it's interesting too, because of the sort of, I mean, the model, right, has been that the partnership that maybe, you know, you have a partnership between the MLS team and the NWSL team, and, and a lot of places have that, obviously, and that works. Um, and that has been successful. But here, it's really interesting to think about a partnership between, um, you know, the French team and a the two women's teams, right? In different, in different. Yeah. I think that's super, that's yeah. super interesting to think about that as the partnership model. And it's, it's not, um, you know, a, again, because I think, you know, what, what would be great is, I mean, the more possibilities there are for, for players coming up through the ranks, uh, you know, all over the place, the more opportunities there are, the better, I think. So obviously um, it seems like it opens that up. And I think it'll be, it is really interesting to think about, Latin American women's soccer to think about African women's soccer, African women's soccer and where players are going. And, um, yes. you know, there's, there's so much there that it's starting to happen. Um, you know, there's the college route through the United States, but there's all these other routes. And, you know, so the more, 
that that, that the, this building of that kind of system and infrastructure and circulation, I think, will be all the best in part because it just puts, you know, people are still just, you know, sh- shamefully underpaid, I think, overall, right? Women's players, the, you know, the comparisons are always shocking. Um, and, you know, so the own, the way that changes is if some people start investing more and paying more and then the other teams have to catch up. And I think that's just, a, that's the process we have to get into and it would be a healthy one. So, you know. And, and, and monetizing and monetizing everything that you can monetize. Like, I'm not going to get into my usual rant of, of how there's a lot of entities sell things that don't get monetized, but it, it is kind yeah. of striking when we see how every possible element of the men's game is often monetized mm-hmm. and they're still like yeah. opportunity lost, opportunity lost, opportunity lost. Right. So. Yeah. There's just this kind of not, yeah. I mean, I do have a, I do have a North Carolina Courage face mask that they, that they've sold. So they, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, nice. Um, I, I was pushing for us to like, like during the, the broadcast, you know, I was on the Twitch broadcast for the Challenge Cup. I was like, why aren't we doing an ad for each team's like online store that has a mask, right? Because I noticed yeah, every yeah, yeah. team, every team had a mask. So I was like, yeah. we got to be pushing this, right? Yeah. But anyway, anyway, no, um, last, last thing for you. Last thing for you, Laura. Um, just some thoughts on, on the courage in the Challenge Cup and 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 what you think of the fall series. They're going to play Houston, which of course I'm very excited about since those teams didn't mm-hmm. meet in in the Challenge Cup, and also uh, Orlando, yeah. who didn't get to participate in the Challenge Cup at all. Yeah, no, I think it's, well. One one quick thing is actually yeah, another another student here from Duke, Kayla McCoy, is, uh, who also plays has played on the Jamaican national team, is up over in right. Houston Dash now. So that's been exciting. So I'm looking to looking forward to hoping she'll get she didn't play in the Challenge Cup, match, but I hope she'll hope to see them actually uh, play. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's always the you know the sort of the courage has had such a dominance in a way i mean not not unchallenged but they've been so strong and intense the last couple of years that it's always good obviously when things like that sh- get shaken up i think it, it'll mean you know and the, the kind of showing in the challenge cup will probably mean that they're going to come in pretty intense um in the beginning of the season and try to you know kind of respond to that you know there's obviously been some movement and, and changes um so i think you know, I, I think, again, there's been a lot of disjuncture from the COVID situation. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of challenges they're faced, I'm sure, just in terms of the schedule. So it'll be interesting to see if that was sort of a blip, you know, or whether there, you know, whether there is maybe a shifting terrain for the for the courage. And, um, you know, it's also obviously other, t- you know, it's, it's, it's both just that other teams are strong going in and, you know, and developing more and more knowledge of each other. Um, getting, you know, tactically more, you know, kind of aware, I think, of how different teams are going to play. And um, so I think there'll probably have to be some, 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 some tactical shifts for the courage, right? That there's maybe a certain way they've played for a while and other teams are going to figure out how to shut that down. And, um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how it shifts. I mean, they obviously have an incredible, incredible talent pool and, um, and I'm excited to see it. I mean, I think, you know, I love, I love the I mean, there's a kind of couple of playmakers on that team that are extraordinary. And so it's always going to be fun to see how they respond as well to, uh, but it was, it was, you know, as, as much as I was disappointed that they didn't get through, it was, it was nice to see different teams going through to those finals and for kind of a, a, a new set of, of places. I think that's going to be inspiring for obviously those teams that, it, you know, kind of opens up a space for them. So. Well, and, and hey, it's not like Dabinia didn't really make Britt Eckerstrom work for that shutout. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, the Venus is so incredible because she's just like unstoppable. I mean, she's just like, it's, it's, yeah, she's, it's, she's an incredible player to watch live, you know, um, because you do just see this kind of, yeah, this spatial awareness. And I mean, obviously combining with the other players too, but it's just, it's been interesting to see, um, you know, cause not that long ago, I think people even watching the courage were kind of like, Oh, there's a brilliant player, you know? Um, and you just to sort of see a player like that grow into such an absolutely key role, um, is, is really fun, you know, and, and interesting. And, um, to see those different styles kind of come, coming together and stuff like that. I mean, Denise is so, you know, there's like, there's all, it's like a really cool collection of players and depending yeah. on the game, you know, different players really come to the fore and kind of come out. And, um, and that, that, that variety is really exciting to watch. So, I mean, I, you know, I hope that we'll be able to start seeing, you know, go out and see some of them with some social, I don't know how it's going to work because I do miss the, we miss um we miss our our Durham girls league soccer. We miss the 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 games and um you know there is a way in which it's a it's a really important community event to um you know it's a lovely it's a lovely community that that's that exists around that team um of people. So hopefully that'll some of that will come back to and and that'll that'll encourage them as well. Well, Laurence, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about Champions League women's soccer. Courage, NWSL, all of it, and and for all the work you've done for women's soccer in, in in the past, and your book is definitely next to my list. Well, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for all that you do with the podcast. It's so great to be on here and um, and uh, to participate. So, thanks uh, thanks for having me, and I look forward to uh, you know got it. I'm looking forward to the now the 2021 European Women. Uh, Cup, which people should, should get on their calendars because that's going to be played in London, in England, and um, that'll be a yes. pretty amazing tournament with France and, and Holland and Germany and all those players. So anyway, just get that on people's people's calendars. They moved it back a year since they moved the men's European Cup back a year, but um, 2021 since it, you know will be. I'm sorry, it'll be in 2022 um, when there won't be a when there won't be a men's World Cup in the summer. Time to wrap it up with the back four. The End of Cell Fall Series kicks off this weekend. Of course, it might already be the weekend by the time you're listening to this. Uh, the full schedule is out at endofcellsoccer.com. I've also entered it into the Keeper Notes Woso Google Calendar that you can link to from keepernotes.com. There will be a game of the week each week on either CBS or CBS Sports Network. All of those CBS games will also be on CBS All Access. All other games will air either on Twitch or CBS All Access in the the USA and Canada. And every single game will air live on Twitch for international viewers. I know that's a lot of information to take in, which is why you want to subscribe to that Google Calendar so you can see which games are where. Uh, CBS All Access is just $6 a month, includes a free trial, and still has all of the Challenge Cup games available for viewing. And of course, international viewers, if you want to rewatch Challenge Cup games, you can do that at endofyourselfsoccer.com. Just click on the schedule, then click on the game you want to watch, and the video should load. And of course, we're finally getting all the rosters for the fall series, lots of player moves, loans, injuries, etc. So the other Google Sheet, or rather the other part of my website you want to be clicking on is the Google Sheet I've built that has rosters by club with loan information and updates as I get them. And hey, if you see an error, let me know. Keeper at keepernotes.com. 
Next, if you haven't already checked out my Woso Nostalgia YouTube channel, I highly recommend it. Lots of old NCAA championship games, U.S. Women's National Team friendlies, and more as I bit by bit track down old videos to share. And if you happen to have any old women's soccer VHS tapes and you want to get that tape converted to DVD and digital, if you send it to me, I will convert it to DVD for you and digital. Of course, I will also share it with the world, but happy to do that for you for free. So send me an email at keeper at keepernotes.com if you have any old women's soccer VHS tapes. Um, and last, very excited to see that NBC Sports is going to be showing 50 games of the FAWSL, which, of course, we know we've got several NWSL players heading over there for the fall and, and maybe beyond. So I, I'd highly recommend um, investing in Fubo TV if you don't have a cable subscription that has NBC Sports. Um there's a chance these games will be on Peacock Premium, the new streaming service for NBC, but I haven't seen confirmation of that yet, so stay tuned. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Big shout out, of course, to our sponsor, IcarusFC.com. If you're tired of the same old uniforms, cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas, and you want a completely custom kit for your youth club, your Sunday league team, go to IcarusFC.com. And as always, big thanks to Sean and the beautiful Game Network for making this podcast possible. But now she's anybody's girl.